you know, during during this holiday season, it is vitally important that we we remember and celebrate the beautiful diversity of all of our communities here in Connecticut. And we definitely have a lot of different faith communities throughout the state. I myself was raised Catholic but converted to Islam on December 27th, 2019. And so in about a week and a half, it'll be three years since I, I made that conversion. And it's my ultimate belief that all major religions are rooted in the values of justice and equity and instruct us to do everything in our power to resist oppression wherever and whenever we see it. And so that being said, I'm honored tonight to be joined by Reverend J. Michael Cobb. In addition to being pastor of Woodbury United Methodist Church in Woodbury, Connecticut, as well as Watertown United Methodist Church in Watertown, Connecticut, Reverend Cobb is an organizer with Justice Southbury. Welcome to Mic Check, Reverend Cobb. Thank you so much for having me, Mike. It's a, it's a real pleasure. Thank you so much for for being here and and for joining me tonight to to talk about some very important topics. And Reverend, I know that the the holiday season, as I mentioned a moment ago, is is upon us, and I can imagine things are very hectic for you. But I just wanted to check in with you really quick before we get started, and and you know ask you how you're doing and and how everything's going for you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, things are things are pretty good for me. Um, as you mentioned, I do uh, pastor two congregations, uh, and of course, it's uh, the week before Christmas, so it's one of the busiest times of the year that we have. Um, I feel I feel kind of like I'm in the eye of the hurricane, where uh, I'm feeling pretty good and things are pretty peaceful, but there's just so much uh, swirling uh, around me. Um, and it's all good, but it's all happening at the same time. <laughs> so it, so it could be quite a lot to juggle. Yeah, I can, I can definitely imagine that, uh, you've got a lot on your plate right now, oh, so, yeah. but you're, you know, you, you definitely sound like you have a, a really wonderful attitude about things. And so I'm excited for this conversation tonight to get to learn a little bit more about you and to get to, you know, talk more. And so I was wondering if you could start off, Reverend, by talking a bit about your background, how long you've been here in Connecticut, uh, as well as your, your journey to become a reverend. And I know that's, that's a lot, so uh, you know, it certainly could be, could be uh, a many hours discussion right there. But um, yeah, I was wondering if you could uh, just kind of you know, sure. provide that overview if you could. Sure, sure, absolutely. Uh, I am a second career clergy. Um, I think that my uh, call to ministry probably started when I was uh, starting undergrad and got involved with uh, Amnesty International, which focuses on human rights issues. And uh, I was very passionate about that, but I, um, I didn't really figure out that this was what I was supposed to be doing uh, until I was uh, in my 40s. And I think a lot of that is because I had uh, a mental image of what a pastor is supposed to be and do, and I just didn't didn't see it. And what happened was uh, I started to understand some of the many different ways that people can um, can do ministry, and I started to find some that seems like a much better fit for me. Uh, like I said, I'm second career. Um, I uh, moved to Connecticut in uh, 2001, just uh, two weeks before the 9-11 attacks. 
Um, my uh, wife and I so have been here now for 21 years, and uh, during that time, uh, I've I've gone from my initial work um, doing uh, marketing in uh, financial services industry um, to all all sorts of different things. And um, in 2008, um, when there was a big shakeup in the uh, financial markets, I ended up um, in a in a beeline towards ministry. I just didn't realize it at the time. Uh, I got involved with um, a Connecticut uh, state representative uh, campaign, and uh, from there, uh, he was able to uh, get me involved with him working with a group called the National Black Justice Coalition, which is a national uh, civil rights nonprofit working on the rights of uh, LGBTQ uh, African-Americans, and I am straight and white. Uh, And so that was a a really interesting experience in uh, understanding my own privilege. From there, I got involved in uh, a different nonprofit uh, called the Religious Institute that focused on uh, sexual and reproductive uh, justice, education, uh, and health. And that really was what got me into seminary right after that. And doing that uh, advocacy work in those various communities is a lot of where I discovered my passion. Um, and, uh, and and we can get into that a little bit later, but that's, that's what brought me to where I am uh, right now. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing all that. That's, you know, it's interesting because I actually, uh, Amnesty International is, is, uh, where I first got involved in activism for the first time as well. And as an undergrad in, uh, in Keene, a Keene state college in Keene, New Hampshire. So Amnesty has been near and dear to my heart as well. And so I, I know that you're involved with an activist community group called Justice Southbury. And I was wondering if you could speak a bit about, about the group's mission and how the, how the group really came about. Sure, sure. Um, so like you said, um, I pastor uh, two congregations, um, one of which is in Woodbury. And in that congregation, perhaps half of the congregants come from Southbury. So I'm uh, fairly active in that community as well. Um, when George Floyd was killed, there was a group of people that got together for a, a public vigil uh, at Playhouse Corners, and um, they decided to do it again the next week, and then the week after that. And so what's happened is something that could have been a one-time thing uh, has been happening for 134 consecutive weeks, uh, whether rain or shine or blizzard or hurricane or what have you. Uh, Every Sunday afternoon, there's a group of people standing on that same corner with signs that say, love your neighbor, uh, signs that say Black Lives Matter, um, American flags, um, pride flags, transgender flags. And all of that is uh, to be a public witness against hate and for inclusion of all kinds. And it... uh, it was a sort of thing that after a little while started to move from being simply a vigil and started to uh, take shape a little bit more. And what you have now is a community group um, that is uh, explicitly there to cultivate an inclusive community where all are treated fairly and all are welcomed as equals. 
with a vision of helping bring about a more fair and kind community for all people. And um, it's the sort of thing that when I first started pastoring in the community a year and a half ago, uh, some of my congregants were involved in founding the group. And so after a while, I went and checked it out. And uh, like I said, I've, I've been doing uh, community activism work of one kind or another for decades. And in finding this group, I really felt like I found uh, a spiritual home because I am um, trying to um, to do ministry work. And in a church context, um, you reach a certain number of people. And then online, you can reach people as well. But when you're out in the community, you're reaching people that would never darken the doors of a church, and you're finding common cause with people that may not believe uh, the same uh, faith or spiritual beliefs that you do, but do share a vision for a world that's kinder and more just. And so finding ways to work together with people, uh, emphasizing the things that we have in common, um, is is such a core part of my understanding of what ministry is supposed to be all about. And so uh, it does make for a very long Sunday. Sundays are very, very busy days for me. Um, but uh, it's, it's life-giving, joyous work, and I feel privileged to be a part of it. That's, that's so awesome that, that that's happening. And, and uh, you know, I, I was, you know, smiling, uh, hearing everything you were you were talking about just now. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of the specific work that Justice Southbury has done between, you know, when it first kicked off and now. Sure. Um, 134 weeks. So that's, um, what, two, two and a half years. And so at this point, we're still um, stretching our legs in a lot of ways. But what we have been trying to do is advocate um, on behalf of a more just and inclusive community and speak publicly when we see uh, instances of people uh, or organizations that are working towards a less inclusive community or a community that is more hostile to certain groups. So um, sometimes this has meant uh, the public vigil. Um, we have had uh, same-sex couples come up to us and say, that one of the reasons they purchased uh, a home in Southbury is because they saw us and felt that maybe the community would be safe. Uh, we've also had instances of um, organizations or, or loosely knit groups of people um, promoting um, the lie that uh, our schools are um, trying to promote uh, critical race theory and found ways to, number one, alert the community when um, these uh, conversations are happening, and number two, to try to participate in them in order to give uh, as much of a counterpoint as we can. Um, the group's work has been as needs have come up in the community. Uh, our, um, our, our description for it is it's almost like a bat signal. So if, if we see something happening, um, we we do what we can to try to quickly respond to it in such a way to minimize harm uh, and to emphasize the idea that this is a community that um, we want to be more just. Um, I, I mentioned that there are vigils uh, every Sunday afternoon, and we always end them 
um, just with a with a public statement that hate has no home here in Southbury. And so let's see what we can do to make this uh, a better world. And um, I, I know that we're going to talk a little bit um, about some of the things that have happened there quite recently um, around white supremacy. Um, that that's probably one of the more organized examples uh, of things that we've done. A lot of it has been more ad hoc as things have come up. And um, it has uh, it's, it's the sort of thing where you have examples uh, come and then you you adjust accordingly. One of the things that's nice about being a community group is uh, we're very adaptive and we're very uh, quick on our feet which uh, if we were a larger, more institutional uh, group, that probably would be a little bit harder to do. Yeah, and I just also want to appreciate how, you know, the, the way that it sounds like Justice Southbury is such a diverse and beautiful group of folks. Uh, you know, I'm, would you say that that's correct? You know, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, it absolutely is. And... Um, we are very public about where we are. Um, we have signs that say things like, come and talk to us. And we've had people come and uh, criticize us because when you see the group, um, it's, it's frequently a very white-looking group. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple of challenges that we've had. One of them is that there have been uh, individuals who have come and photographed uh, members of the group who are just demonstrating publicly with a sign that says, love your neighbor, uh, and taking them to, um, their employers and, um, tried to silence them in ways that there are people who would join us, but are not able to join us. Uh, and that has to do with, uh, everything from people's employers to, um, well, it's, it's, that's, that's where a lot of it is. Let's just leave it at that. Um, but that means that we have uh, some uh, African-American individuals uh, who uh, are very supportive but don't feel safe um, publicly joining the group. Um, or you have people that uh, have been active in other ways in trying to uh, improve the quality of life of town um, that are not safe coming out and publicly uh, putting themselves out there. So that that gets to one of the things that I think is powerful about the group, which is that you have people that have some degree of privilege, putting that privilege on the line in order to make uh, a public statement that would not be safe for some other people to make. So uh, yeah, it's a very diverse group, but not all of those members, um, frankly, are, are safe <laughs> being, uh, being uh, so public uh, the way that some of us are able to do. And that's, of course, exactly why the group is so needed in the community and why the, the work is so important. And especially when, when things happen, like what recently happened, like you alluded to earlier, which is something that I found out about earlier this month when I was seeing headlines pop up and news articles locally here in Connecticut that some, someone or, or a group or organization had distributed white nationalist literature in the community of Southbury. And I know this is, in so many ways, this is nothing new anywhere, including right here in Connecticut. But it's also something where anytime and every time it happens, it's unacceptable. And it 
and it's, uh, and it's harmful and it's not okay. And so I was wondering if you could, especially for folks listening who, who didn't hear about this, I was wondering if you could describe what took place, how people in the community found out and how the greater Southbury community has been responding. Sure. Sure. Um, that's a big question. Um, Group members saw stickers on the uh, porta potty in one of the parks saying, I believe, something along the lines of race mixing is white genocide, white lives matter. And then uh, white supremacist and white nationalist uh, literature had been distributed um, at people's homes. And some of those homes are of uh, biracial families or of African-American families which feels pretty targeted, which, which feels intended to intimidate uh, or to hurt. And so as soon as we did this, I mentioned earlier that, that um, trying to put up a, a signal when, when things like this happen. So that's what we did. We, we tried uh, to make as much of it as we could, calling attention to it, which pretty quickly resulted in uh, some media attention, which resulted in more media attention which resulted uh, eventually in the town of Southbury having its uh, elected officials denounce this as something which did not belong in Southbury as a community which has values of tolerance and acceptance. We, we know that this was, uh, Southbury was one of eight communities in Connecticut that seemed to receive this literature all at the same time. And um, we in Southbury had just celebrated the 85th anniversary of the, um, well, basically uh, Nazis uh, wanted to put a training camp in Southbury and the town rallied to make that not happen. And uh, I didn't know this until, <laughs> until very recently. Uh, there were evidently quite a few Nazi training camps all over the United States in the lead up uh, in the 1930s. Southbury was, I believe, the only community nationwide to kick the Nazis out. And so there were pretty significant commemorations of this, of this happening. And then white supremacist and white nationalist literature shows up a week or so later, uh, which timing seems um, not coincidental to me. So I think that what you have is something that's not just a question of an exchange of ideas. I think it was intended to harm and to intimidate uh, and to counter some of uh, of what had had happened in a positive way um, to counter that voice. And so um, what we've tried to do is make this public in a way that people will say, well, is this okay or is this not okay? And if it's not okay, you you have to say something. If If you don't want this, but you choose to stay silent, do so knowing that your silence emboldens uh, people who who are spreading white supremacist literature. My, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased to see that the town responded by forcefully denouncing this. I worry a little bit just because this is not something that just happens once and it's over. Uh, things like this happen every day. And so if that's not the way that we want uh, our state to look, then every day it's necessary to speak up and say that's not our values, that's not what we stand for, and that's not something that we're going to let go unchallenged. As harmful of a situation as this has been and, and as this is, 
I, I can I can tell from from what you're saying and from from your voice that right now that the community has rallied together and is standing united in so many ways at this time. And that is, you know, that is the exact opposite, like you said before, of, of the intention of hateful literature like that, because it's designed to make people fearful and intimidated, whereas the community rose up against this and I'm sure will continue to do so. So I, I thank you for everything that, that you've been doing and that other folks in Southbury have been doing, uh, in responding to this. And when you and I had spoken a little bit earlier, you, you talked about how necessary it is for, for those of us who benefit from systems of oppression and who, who have different levels of privilege in society to take responsibility and ownership. And like you said before, to have skin in the game, so to speak, by putting in work and taking action to, to play a role in bringing about a more just society. And you, you talked specifically about the church and about faith institutions as having a real role to play. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, Reverend Cobb, as far as some of the things that you would like to see more churches and religious institutions doing in the name of justice and equity. Sure, sure. That's one that I'm pretty passionate about. Um, I mean, I guess as an example, I can give my own United Methodist tradition um, Methodists have been around for a long time, and for, uh, boy, ever since about 1972, um, there have been arguments about uh, LGBTQ people, and those arguments have escalated um, over the decades uh, to a point um, where there are, there are going to be denominational changes that result in uh, some people splitting off. Because of that history, um, one of the things that I'm passionate about is I think that we in the faith community need to be honest and say, you know what, we have either been uh, complicit in harm or active in harm against LGBTQ people. Therefore, it's our responsibility to fix it. It's our responsibility to speak loudly um, in favor of queer inclusion and of um, amplifying those queer voices that for so long have been silenced. It's, it's the same thing for uh, racism. It's the same thing for sexism. There have been uh, time and time again where uh, the church has messed up. And I think that one of the most important roles the church could play is by owning where it was wrong and by actively prioritizing those communities which have been harmed, uh, prioritizing those uh, who have been scapegoated for things, uh, and making sure that those voices are amplified, that those of us who have privilege use it. So, for instance, uh, last year, my congregation had a special worship service for uh, National uh, Coming Out Day, and I am straight. And so for that service, I had two queer colleagues come and they led worship, not me. Um, I set it up, but then they were in charge. And I think we need more and more instances where people who uh, have been silenced in the past, um, those of us who have privilege, amplify those voices in order not just to repair the harm, but also to help those who are being harmed right now. I know that, uh, for instance, for, for many uh, people in 
the schools as students, it can be uh, an unsafe place um, to realize that you are um, not straight. And I think that one of the most important things that we can do is very loudly say, that's great. And we can't wait to meet you and we can't wait to get to know you. And we celebrate the way that God made you not tolerate, not accept, celebrate that we are better off as a church and we're better off as a society because of having queer people sharing who they are fully and completely and not having to hide any of themselves. I would love to see us do more of that. That's not something that everybody is comfortable with, but uh, to me, um, if, if the role of the church is to be moral leaders in society, I think that's one badly needed way where that work could be done right now. Thank you for, for that, Reverend Cobb. And I really want you to have the, the last word on this show. And we have got like about a minute left. And so um, if you could close us out and remember that at 6 p.m., um, the show will, will be ending. But how, Reverend J. Michael Cobb, how can our listeners learn more about Justice Southbury? And what is a last thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with tonight after that as well? Sure. Um, you, we have a website, justicesouthbury.com. Um, the best way is we have a Facebook page. Uh, just search Justice Southbury and you'll find it. Um, if you'd like to reach me, uh, wumcct.org uh, is the Watertown Church. And woodburyumc.net is the uh, Woodbury Church. You can reach me through either one of those. Uh, as a last thing, um, I guess I would say that um, the the job is to find ways to celebrate what it is that we have in common as values. Uh, religion that is used to divide people or demonize people or shame people um, is religion is being weaponized, and that does no one any good. 